0: We're at the end of, or near the end of our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And I hope that it has been both challenging and edifying to you. Challenging because perhaps the series has exposed a great deal of your sin and your shortcomings. Maybe you've come to realize that you've been settling for spiritual counterfeits rather than experiencing the fruit of the Spirit in your lives. Church, this whole series is a call for us to remember that God really does want us to be like Jesus Christ. He doesn't just want us to do things for him. He doesn't just want us to to say the right words and the right phrases, not to just play the part and know correct doctrine. He really wants you and I to be like Jesus in his heart and his character. That's discipleship, to follow and imitate our Lord. But I also hope that each week hasn't been just like a moral beatdown, that you're not loving enough, or joyful enough, or peaceful enough, or gentle enough. And, and I hope that that hasn't been on repeat for you guys. I pray that it's been edifying, that each week we have been reminded in the gospel that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Friends, God is not done with us yet. And in every area of our hearts where we do lack love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all of those areas where we might be lacking, we get to take hold of the promise that the Holy Spirit and his power is working out his fruit in us as we walk in the Spirit, as we abide in the Savior, these fruits are secured. These gifts are secured, and they are promised for us. So let's continue today with the fruit of gentleness. Regarding the fruit of gentleness, and by the way, I'm not going to complain about the fruit. I know all of our associate pastors, they complained about the fruit that they were assigned, and and I'm going to tell them if they don't like preaching here, they can preach somewhere else. I'm just kidding. I'm not like that. I'm a gentle guy. Um, but regarding the fruit of gentleness, Dutch reform pastor George Bethune wrote in 1839, perhaps no grace is less prayed for, no less cultivated than gentleness. And I believe that we can safely say that 170 years later, this statement still rings true today. Who here strives to be gentle, especially in our culture, in our day and age, right? We want to strive to be strong. We want to strive to be disciplined. We want to strive to be excellent. We want to strive to have grit and grind in our, in our, in our ethics and in our work and in our pursuits. Who here strives to be gentle, right? Meekness, gentleness, they're all seen as weak characteristics, even for me as a father, when people hold my son or see my son and say, oh, your baby is so strong, I take that as a compliment, right? I'm like, yeah, that's right, like his father, right? <laughs> I wish. But if you were to tell me, oh, Seth, he is so gentle and meek, I'd wonder what you're really trying to say about him. I'd be like, is that a backhanded comment? What are you really trying to say about my son? So even in me, there is this Disregard towards gentleness and meekness and this desire for strength, this desire for passion, this desire for excellence and giftedness in other ways. But friends, I believe that we need to cultivate biblical gentleness in our churches and in our lives more than ever. In ministry, in particular, in the last three years alone, I've heard of far too many pastors resigning or getting fired at their churches because they lack gentleness. Men that I have read, I've read their books. I've been in relationship with some of them. I've followed them in their ministry arc and in their influence. And many of these pastors, they were beloved for their giftedness. But ultimately, they became despised because of their lack of gentleness. It wasn't financial mismanagement that led to the demise of many of these pastors. It wasn't sexual misconduct. It was accusations of being a dictator. Accusations of emotional, spiritual, verbal abuse. Accusations of being just plain impossible to work with. The Apostle Paul, before he describes the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, he gives this grave warning to the church. Okay, Before he talks about the fruit of the Spirit and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, he, he warns the Galatians in verse 15. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is how Bible-believing, orthodox churches meet their demise. It's not because of a lack of doctrine. If someone comes here and preaches a false gospel, we will all in one voice kick them out. Our officers, our staff, our church will handle doctrine very quickly and effectively. It's not because of outside persecution. My greatest fear as a pastor is not losing the privilege of a housing allowance and tax benefits. Yes, it's great to be a 501c3 organization. But if the government takes that away, we are not going to shut our doors down. right? That's not going to end us because we don't get tax benefits in this country. What will consume us? What will end us? Our greatest threats is sin within this church, a lack of gentleness, a lack of Christ-like character. If we bite and devour one another, be on guard, be careful, lest we consume one another. I just want to do two things in our sermon today. First, I want to show you the gentleness of our God. And as you see it, I pray that you will experience it, that we together re-encounter the gentleness of our Lord. And second, I want to show you what gentleness looks like in the Christian life. How and where we must practice it. And I believe that if we do these two things regularly in our lives, if we experience, if we remember, if we behold, if we delight in the gentleness of God and we try to practice it regularly out of faith and out of obedience, we will experience God growing the fruit of gentleness in our lives. So the gentleness of God, the first thing I want to say is that it is far more than just going easy on people. Okay. gentleness is more than just going easy on people. It's not being shy. It's not being timid. Being gentle doesn't mean that you let people walk all over you. Being gentle doesn't mean that you never discipline your children. Okay, that's not gentle parenting, saying, oh, we're never going to spank or we're never going to put timeouts on or never going to speak harshly. No, I, like already my son, 10 months old, he needs it. I'm making all of these Korean middle-aged man sounds towards him. I'm like, you know? (laughs) And he's like, right? I can't just always like whisper and sing to him. When he's in disobedience, right, that is not a time for me as a father to be shy and timid. Jerry Bridges observes that gentleness is an active trait. Describing the manner in which you treat other people. Gentleness is how you choose to speak how you choose to respond and interact with others. And so being gentle doesn't mean you're just a punching bag for everyone else, okay? Gentle is an active trait. It's displayed and reflected in what you say, what you do, how you engage with and interact with other people. The first thing that we see in the gentleness of God is that God's gentleness comes from his strength. God is both powerful and tender. He is merciful and mighty. In Isaiah 40, we have this great description of God as the redeemer of his people. And before he comes, Isaiah tells us that a voice will cry in the wilderness, proclaiming the way of the Lord. And in verse 10, he declares, behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Recompense is judgment. His justice, his wrath will come before him. Verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Here we see, This beautiful juxtaposition of the strength of God, the power of God, and the gentleness and the tenderness of God. And they are not in conflict. right, They're in harmony. They're in full display in the heart of God. Verse 10 tells us that God is almighty and sovereign over all. We are reminded that he is a judge who will surely deliver recompense for those who have sinned against him. But in the very next verse, we see the surprising gentleness and tenderness of the Lord. Our God will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead those that are with young. This is the image of our gentle God. He is a mighty shepherd holding a little lamb close to his heart. You see, biblical gentleness should never be confused with weakness. We see that in God there is strength and tenderness. In fact, it takes strength. It takes a great amount of strength for us to be truly gentle. And the same pattern of power and gentleness is on display in the person and the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's pretty amazing how Matthew chapter 11 parallels Isaiah chapter 40. And so I really want to recommend that you take time for yourself to to read those two chapters and see for yourself some of the beautiful, powerful connections. Jesus begins in Matthew 11 with an affirmation of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was that voice in the wilderness crying out. He was the one who was preparing the way for the Lord. And then after he affirms John the Baptist, he then pronounces judgment on those who did not repent. He judges specific cities and he says, if, if, if he just cannot believe their lack of faith, their refusal to repent of their sins. And then Jesus gives us, his famous words as the good shepherd come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light i think we all have heard that passage i'm sure for many of us we, we love this passage, the fact that Jesus offers us rest, but we quickly and often forget that his rest is rooted in his gentleness. Why should we go to Jesus? Why should we trust Jesus? Because he is gentle and he is lowly in heart. Jesus is the mighty judge who is also the gentle shepherd of his people. He offers us rest for our weary souls. And we can trust him. We can put our faith in him. We can place our struggles, our worries, and our anxieties at his feet. Not only because he is mighty and powerful and able to do something for us, but because he is gentle, right? It's one thing for someone to be powerful, right? And it's another thing for that person to be powerful and gentle, for them to care about you. There are plenty of powerful people in this world who don't even know your name, right? And so their power does no good for you. But if you meet a powerful person who is gentle and loving and gracious towards you, you can trust that person, can't you? You can believe and you can follow that person. Have you ever been in the presence of a truly gentle person? Someone who doesn't make you feel judged. Someone who doesn't make you feel like you're auditioning for them. The anxiety is gone. The stress is gone. They make you feel at ease. A gentle person makes you feel accepted. And you can just be yourself. If you ever find someone like that, befriend them. Befriend them. Because that is a special relationship. Singles, if you ever Meet someone like that, someone where in their gentleness you find rest, rest from your anxiety, rest from your striving. Marry that person. Marry that person. Where the anxiety is gone, the stress, the auditioning is over, someone that makes you feel accepted, that is someone you want to spend the rest of your life with. This is what happens when you encounter Jesus. When you realize that he is truly gentle, you can put your guard down with him. You'll realize that you don't have to strive for his approval. You will stop trying to perform for him. You'll stop trying to desperately stay in his good graces with your works and with your obedience. You will know and believe his declaration that it is finished. Because he is gentle, you can trust him. And because he is gentle, you can rest in his presence. I want to share one more passage about the gentleness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's found in Matthew chapter 12, verse 20 to 21. This is what we see about the ministry and work of Jesus. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not quench. Until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. The bruised reed and the smoldering wick, it's actually a metaphor. And it's a metaphor for us. People who are hurting. People who are spiritually weak. People who are struggling with faith. People who are imperfect. You see, to a farmer or a fisherman, a bruised reed is no good. A bruised reed is no good. A smoldering wick, you know what that is? That's a candle that is practically out, right? If you start blowing out a candle and you see no more flame, but you just see that little vapor of smoke rising and a little ember of red, and you look at that candle, and you're like, it's done, All right? I either need to relight it or throw it away. But rather than toss these things aside, rather than looking at a bruised reed, damaged goods, a smoldering wick, Jesus is gentle. He's not heavy-handed. He doesn't look at us in our weakness and in our inadequacy, and he doesn't condemn us. He doesn't say, why are you bruised? What is wrong with you? He doesn't look at you and say, where is your passion? Your heart and your life should be aflame, ablaze for my glory. Why are you so lukewarm? Why are you so indifferent? Why can't you live rightly for my glory? That is not the approach that our Lord Jesus takes towards us. He doesn't put us out because we are no of no use to him. He looks at us and he says, I will be your hope in the Gentiles, right? We will place our hope in him. I will be your justice and I will be your victory. This is how Jesus treats us as sinners, as sinners. Have you experienced the gentleness of God? Do you know God is gentle? Because in those moments when you feel bottomed out, in those moments when you feel exhausted, when you are in a, in a season of self loathing and failure, when you feel like everyone else has given up on you, when you are about to give up on yourself, that's when you need the gentleness of God the most, and that's when you can experience it the best. Because in God's gentleness, he stoops down towards you. He is such a good shepherd. He doesn't say, come up to me. Get over here. Get your act together. No. God, he condescends towards his people. He condescends towards us in our exhaustion, in our fear, in our faithfulness. And he picks us up like his little lambs. And he holds us close to his heart. And he offers us rest and refuge in his mighty arms. Church, have you experienced the gentleness of God? Do you know God as gentle and compassionate? And just as God is gentle, he calls us to be gentle as well. The second section is called the practice of gentleness. So far, we've described gentleness as an active trait which is tenderness and strength. In the fruit of the Spirit, the word for gentleness is prautes, which means the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's importance. Let me say that again. Gentleness, in the like Greek lexical definition, it is the quality of not being over-impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Synonyms are humility, courtesy, considerateness, and meekness. The opposite of gentleness is prideful aggression, okay? Prideful aggression. And whether you are passive-aggressive or just aggressive-aggressive, right? Any form of aggression, when you have it out for someone, that is the opposite of uh, gentleness. You may slander them. You may simply be rooting for them to fail. You may be actively doing things against them. That is the opposite of gentleness, The counterfeit of gentleness is timidity. Timidity. You see, you may think you're gentle because you don't fight back. You're like, yeah, Jesus said turn the other cheek and all that. I'm good at that. I'll just I'll just absorb and not do anything, right? I got a good chin, right? You may think you're gentle because you don't speak your mind. But remember, gentleness is not a passive trait, it's an active characteristic that's reflected in your words and your actions and your responses. You see, you may be angry on the inside, but because you're timid, because you're cowardly, you don't do anything. And everyone around you is like, oh, that person's so gentle. But inside, you murder people in your heart. Inside, you're full of anger, full of hate. See, that's counterfeit. True gentleness is to consider others, to love others to be humble before others, to be tender towards others, not silently bitter, right? Some of us here are really good at that. Quietly bitter towards people that we hate. If you do a word study, you'll actually find gentleness and gentle all throughout the New Testament. And it's practiced inside and outside the church. Let me give you three specific areas really quickly. We need to to end soon. Um, Three specific areas where gentleness should be practiced in your life. First, In the church, okay, gentleness must be practiced in the church as the family of God, as a body of believers, and specifically for leaders. I literally tell our staff members, don't hurt our church members, right? I I literally look at each one and I'm like, do not hurt our church members. Don't domineer over those serving under you. And then I joke, do as I say, not as I do. Because right? I sometimes am authoritative and domineering over them. Right? I'm like a little Napoleon. Right? Uh, so I say, do as I say, not as I do. I recently heard a story of a lead pastor who, who told his associates, he says, don't fight with the elders. Because if you do, I will not back you. Right? I'm going to take their side. Don't fight with the elders. And I was like, oh, boss, move. Right? Boss, move. But um, obviously, that's, just, that's how much he didn't want infighting amongst his leadership. Obviously, if the elders were in sin and wrong, then he would correct them in gentleness and in grace. In the biblical requirements for elders in 1 Timothy 3, Paul is clear. Elders must not be violent. They must be gentle. They must not be quarrelsome. They must be self-controlled. In First Thessalonians two, when Paul is defending his ministry, defending his ministry, he reminds the Thessalonians that he didn't come in greed, he didn't come in vain glory, he didn't have any ulterior motives. In fact, he could have just rolled into the Thessalon, uh, Thessalonian church and said, "Hey, I am an apostle. You must and you should obey me and submit to me." But that's not even the posture he takes. To them he writes in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. This was Paul's ministry towards the Thessalonians. One of gentleness. One that reflected the kind of care and concern and tenderness that a mother has as she's nursing her own children. Spiritual leadership is gentle. Gentle. Church community along with one another must be gentle. This is the first reminder. This is the first place where we must practice gentleness. Second, gentleness must be practiced when we are responding to those struggling with sin. Remember the bruised reed. The smoldering wick. You and I in the church, we must learn to not only deal with our own sins, but the sins of others. And Galatians 6.1, this is a verse I share in every membership class as we go over this thing called church discipline. Paul writes in Galatians, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. When we think about church discipline, right, church discipline. We think, oh my gosh, excommunication. Pastor Michael's going to give like the right foot of fellowship and kick people out. And, And that's not the case at all. We say that when we encounter the sinfulness of one another, our first response must be one of gentleness. One of gentleness so that we might restore and shepherd one another back into fellowship with God and his people. Here in the church, here in community groups, here in relationship and friendship, you're going to experience friends confessing their sins to you. Members might offend you. They might sin against you. You might even find yourself mediating between two people who are at war with each other, and you're the the middleman trying to be the peacemaker, and you're trying to figure out what should you say and what should you do. And many of us care more about being right Than being gentle. When you see the sins of others. When you experience sinfulness towards you. And you're like, "Why why are they hurting me? What did I do to deserve this? And it hurts and it wounds you. Our response many times is about being right. About justifying ourselves. Rather than being gentle. We think that as long as we have the right Bible verses backing our play, we are justified. We are in the right. They're in the wrong so I'm gonna do and say whatever I want. But brothers and sisters, when we encounter sin, sin in this community, may your first response be, like Christ, be one of gentleness. The third area where we must practice gentleness is actually outside the church, engaging with those outside the church. 1 Peter 3.15, famous verse about apologetics and defending our faith. And Peter writes, But in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Evangelism and apologetics is not about winning arguments. It's about witnessing and testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I met a, a, a guy in seminary, and I was doing my Master's of Divinity, and he was doing his Master's in Apologetics, and he just boldly told me uh, after class one day, he says, you know, Michael, I can, I, can, I can win any argument against an atheist, a Buddhist, a Muslim. A Scientology guy, a Jehovah's Witness, and, and I was like, "Why are you telling me all of this? Right? Why are you telling me all?" Of this? And and he was just so proud because he had read the right books. Right? He built up and developed all the right arguments. He knew the weak points and where to strike his opponents. He, if he ever got a de- got in a debate, he was the kind of guy who was like, "I just hope, I hope the Mormons come on their bicycles by my door. I'm ready, right? <laughs> I'm ready." Brothers and sisters, we must be prepared to make a defense for the gospel, but we must do it with gentleness and respect so that the people wouldn't just know about God, they would see and experience our God through His people. I want to finish with um, a couple questions for you guys gentleness, reflection. Are you gentle? Is this fruit? evident, and present in your lives. And so you don't have to respond, but I just want you to read these questions and ask yourselves these with me. Do people relax in my presence? Or when they're with me, do they worry about being judged and criticized? Ask yourself that. Maybe ask your spouse. Second question. Do I condemn other people for their weakness? Do I make them feel guilty? for being less serious about their faith than I am. If that's you, you're not being gentle. You're not being Christ-like. If You make people feel bad about who they are in the Christian life that they're living. That's not the heart and work of our Lord. Three, how do you try and change people's opinions or behaviors? How do you try and change people? Because we all are, are trying to change people in some way, shape, or form. Do you do it with kindness and by example or do you do it through domination and intimidation? How do you change people? How do you try to move people? Many of us push, literally pushing people towards where we want them to go. And yet Christ is the good shepherd and he woos them with his voice. He woos them with his love. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Finally, Fourth, final question. Are you the kind of person people are comfortable asking for help? You see, if you are not a gentle person, if you're not trustworthy and safe, no one is going to ask you for help, okay? Because they're going to say, you are going to judge me. You're going to bail on me. You're going to make me feel stupid and weak and incompetent. And so if it's been a long time since anyone asked you for help, would you consider gentleness, (laughs) right? Would you consider gentleness? The way you grow in gentleness is by experiencing the gentleness of our Savior, by really tasting that he is good, by really knowing that he is tender, and by delighting in him. And as you delight and as you taste and as you experience, you then imitate. Let's do this. Let's experience. Let's witness the gentleness of our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace and goodness in our lives. We thank you that you are a God who is gentle towards us. We thank you that you are a God who sees us in all of our weakness, who sees us with our bruises, with our failings. And God, you come after us keep pursuing us. You keep offering grace upon grace towards us. Lord, I pray that today, that right now you would soften our hearts and help us see you as tender and good. Help us to know you as merciful and mighty and help us to trust you to trust you as a refuge, to trust you as a hiding place. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray.